Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us once again for the CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation. Glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Jason Dreho, the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed a nice weekend. A lot to catch up on as always. So looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, good morning, Dan. Good to be here. So, Jason, coming off of recent developments surrounding major economic news, thinking back to the January jobs report, as well as central bank announcements, uh, we've covered that on recent conversations, though. Thinking back to last week in particular, it was relatively quiet in comparison, yet the ramifications continue to reverberate in financial markets. So maybe we could begin there, Jason. After such a strong start to 2023, equities and bonds were both down last week. So So what, from your vantage point, was driving this performance? You know, a week ago, we talked about the possibility that there's kind of fatter tails in the distribution of macroeconomic outcomes for the U.S. economy this year. And by that, I mean sort of, you know, more probability of an upside scenario where things actually go quite well. You get a soft landing growth is actually better than people assumed. But also the downside scenario where it turns out we actually get a hard landing. And the hard landing scenario is actually a consequence of, of growth, ironically, being sort of too strong right now. That leads to inflation and not coming out as much as people expected, and ultimately the Fed having to raise rates more aggressively uh, to get rid of inflation, and then that kind of becomes the catalyst to cause you know, the, the harder landing. So what started to sh- take shape last week was you know, the market kind of maybe pricing in that you know, possibility, that scenario, in the way that it hadn't before. That it was you know to start the year was very much kind of soft landing. Inflation is going to fall. Growth is, actually looks like it's going to be okay. Fed's going to be able to pivot and start cutting rates and. Now the view is like, well, actually, maybe that's, you know, it could certainly go that way. But there is now a distinct possibility that the Fed has to keep raising rates just because things are sort of too resilient. Inflation is, is, you know, too significant. And we can see that, you know, first and foremost in the rates market, uh, yields across the Treasury curve, you know, were up. You know, last week, you know, if you go back to even the week before, before we got the really strong January jobs data, before the ISM services kind of jumped quite a bit, you know, from that point in time, We've seen you know, yields across the curve up 30 basis points. In the case of the two-year yield, up 40 basis points. Uh, you know, the market is now kind of pricing in another full rate hike. So before they had the Fed hiking 25 basis points in March, and then basically is done. Now we have 25 in March, 25 in May. In fact, cumulatively, it's almost closer to 60 basis points in hikes, you know, by May. So there's definitely kind of been a repricing of you know, of rates and sort of Fed hiking expectations, much closer in line to the, the Fed dot plot of, of how much they would hike this year. Um, there's still more kind of cutting implied, you know, later, starting later this year and into 2024. So that's kind of what went on in the, in the rates market. Uh, you're kind of in some way pricing in this, this other scenario. Equities have also been kind of optimistically pricing a soft landing. And you saw, you know, very strong reversals from 2022 performance, it's like the, the winners through the first five weeks of this year were the, basically the biggest losers of last year. What we saw last week is a reversal of that reversal. And so the, the winners of last week were the ones that were the winners in 2022. You know, energy was the best performing sector by a, you know, a decent amount, whereas the two worst sectors were communication services and, and discretionary, which were the two big losers in, in uh, 2022, largely again driven more by the exposure to kind of growth stocks. Uh, You've also saw your commodities kind of bounce back. So again, it looked a little bit, you know, like what we saw in 2022. Commodities doing well. The dollar is up a little bit. Uh, so the weakness that was widely anticipated, now the outlook for the dollar is probably a little more balanced. Uh, and maybe even in the near term skewed to the upside. Again, sort of a 2022 story. 
Uh, and one thing, if you look at sort of volatility, you know, you know, the VIX index, the volatility index has gone up, but there's a, you know, volatility of volatility index, the kind of the volatility of the VIX index, and that's actually surged quite a bit just in the past week, which is sort of a sign of people expecting jumps in volatility, which is sort of synonymous with the idea that there are kind of fatter tails out there. So while there's still, I think, optimism, what we saw last week is I think the market may be more rashly pricing in sort of the two side of risks that, yeah, there's a soft landing scenario, but there's also a hard landing scenario of things actually, you know, be you know, more resilient and inflation stickier than expected. So that covers fundamental drivers. Our listeners, Jason, might recall on recent Strategy Snapshot podcasts. I know you've written about this in a recent blog as well, the influence of technical factors on market performance. So where does that stand at this point? It's still a force, but definitely the, the, the impact I think is just starting to diminish. And there's only so much you can have in terms of a technical tailwind if it, it represents short covering. You know, once people have covered their shorts, there's no more shorts to cover. Then ultimately, you're going to have to have outright long positions. And I think a lot of the short covering, which, or the data on short covering, would suggest it's probably you know largely done at this point in time. People sort of need to close those positions. There's also been a fair amount of kind of systematic, you know, macro strategy buying, meaning. Uh, as momentum continues, people buy you know more exposure to equities as markets rally. Volatility was coming down; that would cause certain funds to kind of lever up. But I think that those factors are, have gone from funds that were relatively low position of risk to something much more neutral again. So that means those kind of factors have probably started to kind of peter out. There's also kind of retail fund flows that are very strong at the start of the year. As you kind of come into you know, a new tax year, you get some rebalancing. I think that is also going to kind of moderate as we move, you know, out of January and further into the first quarter and the rest of the year. Uh, so that suggests, you know, that those technical dynamics that have been buying, certainly within equities, that's kind of petering out. Uh, sentiment has also improved. You know, I think there's people who are kind of skeptical, certainly about the, you know, the macro environment. You know, the view was, or consensus view was, weak first half, better second half. Now I think the view is, actually, first half is going to probably be pretty okay. It, the second half that actually might now be the, the more challenging part. And it's reflected in sentiment. And if you want to believe in sort of you know, sentiment as being a counter indicator such that when it's really negative, that's the time to buy. When it's really positive, it's the time to sell. The fact that it's no longer quite as bearish and it's almost drifting more towards a little optimistic. Again, that suggests that as a factor to kind of you know, drive markets is sort of dissipated to some extent. Where there is still probably a technical dynamic that's, that's playing out is more in the, the fixed income markets and maybe more specifically the credit markets. A common view this year at the start was, you know, kind of a, you want to buy, you know, kind of carry strategies. You want to buy credit, maybe even more so than equities because you get, a, you know, good income now, good yields, uh, with a little more certainty, you know, you know, that of how it's going to pay off versus the uncertainty of the equity outlook, especially more sort of downside risk there. But one of the consequences of that is, uh, you know, spreads uh, and yields have to have compressed quite a bit. Um, but in keeping and spreads and sort of riskier parts of credit, you've seen this in, as you go into high yield bonds, the kind of the lower the credit rating, the bigger the rally. So there's been a sort of an element of, of a junk rally there, and so spreads in that case have continued to tighten. And there's still a lot of kind of money that could be put to work. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, some of it's kind of you know been eaten up, but it's still sort of money to go there. You're also seeing supply come into the marketplace, which as supply comes in, that helps to kind of grease the wheels of the credit markets. So there could be a little bit more of a technical story going on in the fixed income landscape and the credit landscape. A little bit more so than equities, but by and large, this technical story has been very strong to start the year and been amplified to the fundamental developments. I think that's starting to kind of play out. It should become more neutral 
as we go forward, at least for the rest of the quarter. Turning back to fundamental drivers and just for some historical context, we know very well how influential inflation data prints have been to market behavior, investor sentiment over the past year. Just looking out on the horizon near term tomorrow, February 14th, we will be receiving the CPI inflation print for January. How important or needle moving might this data point be, Jason, and the CIO have any expectations? Well, it's become very much in focus given the concerns investors have now that maybe this assumption of inflation steadily falling, this significant disinflation, maybe that shouldn't be taken for granted. So a lot of focus on it. There are concerns that it could surprise to the upside. Uh, so in terms of consensus, uh, right now the expectation uh, sort of on like a, a month-over-month basis is that you know, we'll increase 0.5%. Uh, you know, headline 0.4% uh, you know, core, which is actually up from what we saw in December. Uh, if you measure, though, from a year-over-year basis, it has you know, headline falling down to 6.2% versus 6.5% in December. Uh, and you include food and energy, and it goes from 5.7% to 5.5%. That's the consensus forecast. But there is a risk, I think, that's probably more skewed to the upside. There is an element where in, in the January inflation could be uh, you know, higher than normal because you often get you know, prices being reset to start the new year, wages can kind of kick in uh, to start the new year as you sort of have these kind of calendar effects. It's hard to calibrate exactly how influential that will be, but I think it kind of skews the bias towards inflation perhaps being a little bit higher than, than expected, you know, given some of the recent data. Now, from the market's reaction, this is, you know, you know, uh, clearly an intense focus. There's also concerns that I'm kind of acknowledging that the risk is to the upside. So I think that's partly why you've seen you know, risk assets sell off a little bit, rates go higher, uh, and it might, you know, can you continue, you know, until we get the CPI data, which if it comes in, in line with expectations or better, then you get almost kind of initial relief rally that, okay, maybe we're back to that kind of more Goldilocks scenario where growth is holding up and inflation is falling steadily. But that's why there's a lot of focus on this particular print. The overall trend, at least for the next few months, should be inflation continue to decline steadily. But once you get through some of the year-over-year effects, then you start to kind of think about well, what's the underlying trend for a sort of structural disinflation? Um, is it going to be as significant as, as investors have been assuming? And there's reasons to at least kind of question that to some extent. You know, I'll give you an example of two recent data points that call into maybe that, that kind of comfort investors have had. One is on used car prices. Um, used cars or cars in general are a you know, sizable chunk of goods inflation and core goods inflation. The expectation was that used car prices would continue to fall uh, after they moved dramatically in 2020 and 2021, and they were going to start to fall as supply of new cars come back online. But some of the recent data suggests that decline has stopped, and it maybe won't be quite as aggressive as people were assuming. So if that's the case, it's still disinflationary, even maybe deflationary for, for a couple of months. The magnitude is going to be a little bit less than perhaps assumed. Then we go to wages, uh, you know, data that we got last week on the Atlanta Fed's wage tracker, which tries to control for a sort of composition and sort of, you know, different you know, job switchers. It didn't decline from um, December to January. It stayed the same level at 6.2%. So down from the peak, but it's not, you know, falling dramatically. So that would again suggest there's a little bit of stickiness on the, on the labor market, consistent with the other data we've seen there. So these sort of data points kind of, you know, raise the specter of that of, of core inflation, especially core services inflation, you know, won't fall enough without the Fed doing even more than perhaps the market is currently priced. And again, that kind of fuels this, this sort of downside risk this, of, um, of a harder landing, you know, materializing. So there's a lot of focus on the CPI for January, but really I think this, this is going to be a story for multiple months to see how these underlying trends kind of play out. We know headline numbers are going to come down. Core inflation will come down. 
The question is, is how much? And, you know, kind of to reiterate a point we've made before, disinflationary, that's kind of my word of the year for financial markets, like how much we get uh, is really going to drive what the Fed does and it's ultimately kind of influences the growth story. So I think, you know, the point for January is kind of the first piece of this story that's going to kind of play out really all year long. Okay, so tomorrow, very key, though, to your point, this will be a story we'll be tracking for months to come, and we'll see if we pick up on any trends as we receive these data points in coming months. So, Jason, just given this shifting view on the economic outlook as well as market pricing, what asset allocation guidance are you providing to clients at the moment? We began the year kind of recommending an overall kind of neutral stance on risk, you know, be slightly cautious, uh, you know, be up in quality within fixed income. You don't need to talk a lot of take a lot of you know, credit risk to get yield within equity, be more defensively, you know, tilted versus cyclically and also favor value stocks versus growth. But that turned out to be at least for a couple of weeks, particularly toward the end of January, beginning of February, not the right trade. Uh, as you saw, significant moves up in you know, so growth stocks and tech stocks as they kind of rebounded from you know, really poor performance last year. Also, some of the, the junkier parts of the fixed income landscape and credit sort of you know rallied. But going back to my opening comments about sort of what you know worked or didn't work last week, it was actually kind of a, a reversal of some of that. You saw value stocks outperform. You saw uh, you know commodities rally, energy rally. So things that we've liked at the start of the year that, and that we still think that has the fundamental support that started to kind of you know perform again. So I think that what we, you know the guidance we've provided all year, we think that's still the right kind of allocation that investors should have. Uh, you know, looking to be you know, uh, again, tilting more towards value stocks, being a little more defensively positioned within within equities overall. On the rates front, on a short-term basis, we thought that the, the bias was for yields to go higher. So thinking about the 10-year Treasury yield trading in a range from, let's say, 3.4% roughly to 3.94%. So when we got down that 3.4% level a few weeks ago, this was a time where maybe you want to kind of you know, stop adding duration, even trim a little bit of that exposure with the idea that if rates back up, you don't want to have quite an interest rate exposure and then there'll be better entry points to add some of those long duration positions. And that's kind of playing out exactly as we sort of anticipated that any sort of upside surprise inflation would bias rates to move higher. That, that's kind of how it's played out. Uh, at the same time, then we look at the, you know, the, the fundamentals on other asset classes like commodities. They still suggest very kind of tight supply, limited inventory. It should bias commodity prices higher. We saw a bit of a jump in oil prices at the end of last week. And some of that was triggered by sort of reports and news out of Russia saying their production was actually declining. And there was a lot of uncertainty in the in the oil market going back to December that once the you know, EU um, you know essentially embargo of any sort of Russian oil fully took effect, how would that impact Russian supply? How would that impact their production? And now we're starting to sort of start to see some concrete numbers, and, and it clearly is having an impact. There's no doubt about that, and that's kind of why you saw uh, you know oil going up and, and the energy stocks going up as well. And so our view is commodity prices are going higher. That's good for, for commodities. That's good for energy stocks, you know, two areas that we like. It can also, though, uh, you know, reflect stronger growth in China and other parts of EM, which, again, sort of, you know, why we like, you know, EM equities on a relative basis at this point in time. So you see the story that we've had, the thesis that we've had this year is still in, very much in play. The market's kind of moved against that for a couple of weeks. I think some of that was technically driven. Some of that was maybe the market's getting a little too optimistic on certain macro assumptions. And now those expectations are being reset to the reality of the data. Just trying to see, you know, these kind of views that we had sort of start to kind of recover some of that performance. And we think that's the right trade to be in and the right allocation to be in 
for the time being. Jason, thank you for keeping our listeners, our clients current on CIO's positioning recommendations as market and macro conditions continue to evolve. We will see what tomorrow brings with respect to that January CPI print, something we can follow up on with our listeners during next week's snapshot, though. Wish you a great week ahead, Jason, and thank you again for dropping by and sharing your insights with us today. You're welcome. Have a great week. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 